0: Dope, dude. I'm excited. All right. And if my dog does bark in the background, nothing new there. (laughs) All right, same.
1: Carrie conveniently uh,
0: ran the Roomba
1: beforehand so that Zoe wasn't trying to bite the Roomba. Well Time's up. Start the game already! Let's do this.
0: I'm ready. I'm not ready. Welcome, dear listener, to the QQ Cast. Today is Saturday, January twenty second, twenty twenty two, and we're your host, Tom Dupont, and special guest, musical artist, Grammy award winning. I don't know what else. Jay Z. Sup? <laughs>
1: oh man. See, now this is when I if if I listen to rap, this will be the perfect moment to drop some beats. But uh, sorry, just man. Beat box point. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: See, the there listener won't know if that was you or me.
1: Right, exactly. It was totally me, all me.
0: Uh, dear listener, welcome brand new cast, brand new guest to the cast. Say that three times fast because it rhymes all the times. Uh, Jared, hi, Jared. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? Doing good, man. So this is the first, honestly, this is the first podcast I've done. Zach and I have been podcasting for about 10 years before they had a different partner, uh, Jordan. And I have not done... A podcast now. I think Raul's been on for like six of those years. So I have not done a podcast without at least one of them in six or seven years. But obviously, you and I have been playing a little vidya game we're going to be reviewing today. Oh, yeah. And my my other guys hadn't been playing that. God damn it, I wanted to talk about this. So you so graciously, uh, not offered, but were persuaded, convinced, bribed to come (laughs) on the cast.
1: Yeah, no, man, I'm... Dude, how, how many times were we texting nonstop about like, oh my God, this
0: new thing. Have you tried this out? It's so I'm excited to talk about it. Oh yeah, late night texting. I'm pretty sure your wife was getting jealous. Who are you oh, texting yeah. in the middle of the night? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so before we get started, dear listener, we have to put out a disclaimer. Um, Jared and I do work together. We work for the same company. That company is in the video game industry, but everything we are about to say is our personal opinions and none of it reflects on our employer our co-workers anything of the sort these are just two dudes who wanted to shoot the shit about a video game they've been enjoying so that is all disclaimer stated isn't, isn't that the the best perk of our job tom playing and making video games oh yeah yeah and making people wonder wait is he is he mispronouncing that or does he know something because he's an insider in the industry Oh, yes, 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 yes. Quite right, quite right. Yes. We, we make Vidya games with C-Pound. It's great. <laughs> all right, and this, dear listener, is the QQ review of Loop Hero, the 2021 uh, endless RPG indie darling that came to... Hold on, I got, I got all the stats. I got all the stats, Jared. Are you ready? Taboo is so excited. He is Ta- taboo is really stoked. So Loop Hero, it is the it is described as a twenty twenty one endless RPG developed by a Russian studio called four. Thank you, Taboo. Called Four Quarters, published by Digital that, Devolver Digital, made in the Game Maker Studio, which I actually haven't used. Have you ever used that software? Uh, you know, I I think I played around with
1: it years ago, but oh I at that point I had spent so much time in Unity that I was like, eh, I'm just gonna stick to what I know.
0: Yeah, it does kind of make me want to check it out just because this game is cool. I like to see what the tools are using. Uh, Platforms it has launched for Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, Uncommon, Linux, and my personal favorite, Nintendo Switch. Hell yeah. What have you been playing it on? I've been playing it on Switch. Did you play it on Switch or PC? So here's here's an interesting thing. So Uh I actually picked it up on PC,
1: uh, and I started playing it, and spoiler alert for how I feel about it. I actually stopped a little bit, but then when it came out, I know, I know, but when it came out on Switch, you know, uh, something changed, and so I've been mostly playing it on
0: Switch. Well, that's actually funny, because I, you know, as anyone, there's like two listeners for this podcast at most, as anyone who listens <laughs> to this podcast knows, I am a Nintendo fanboy, I'm addicted to my Switch, even when games are kind of objectively worse on the Switch, I still prefer it, um, and this game in particular, as we'll we'll talk about a little later, I mean, it is very fucking obviously a pc port the mouse literally gets moved around with your cursor or (laughs) on a grid with the uh, d-pad so it's a fucking pc game yeah yeah i i'll
1: admit that uh that took a little getting used to after playing it on the pc for sure
0: yeah they they do have some nice shortcuts with the l and r buttons but we, we will talk about that later so uh storefronts this is available in obviously the nintendo switch eShop, but it's available on basically all the pc ones steam epic gog and the humble bundle so you can get this thing anywhere. It was released officially. I think it had... I You know what I didn't look up in this? Did it have early access in 2018, or did it only release in 2019?
1: I thought it had early access, because I remember seeing it before then, uh, before it released. So I, I want to say that... I don't know if it was just influencers playing around or whatnot, but I think it was early access.
0: Yeah, I mean, their first... Uh, I'll get into this a little later. Four Quarters' first game was in 2019, which means if this did have early access, it was only in 2020, which mm. would make sense. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that too, this like this beautifully minimalistic game design that I just think is, despite not being a game designer, I'm not a game designer, I just think is amazing. Um, so yeah, it released for Windows, Mac, and Linux, apparently all at once on March 4th, 2021, and then it came to Nintendo Switch at the very end of the year, snuck in at the end of 2021 with December 9th, and I'm pretty sure I bought it the day of. It's genre, as labeled by Wikipedia, is role-playing, roguelike, deck-building game. And I'm going to want to talk about whether or not there's one more genre in there. We'll get to that. And, of course, it Ooh. is single-player only. Um, so, yeah, there's there's your stats for the loop hero. And here's a quick synopsis. The Lich has thrown the world into a timeless loop and plunged its inhabitants into never-ending chaos. I think that's how you pronounce that one. <laughs> Wield an yeah, expanding it, deck it. of mystical cards to place enemies, buildings, and terrain along each unique expedition loop for the brave hero. The Brave hero? The brave. Brave? Hero, that's the one.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's Chow's, then it's definitely Brave.
0: Of course. Of course. Uh, so, side note: When I was a little kid, we had Hero Quest. It's kind of my first introduction to board games that wasn't, you know, Monopoly or life. Mm. And there was a Chaos Knight. And I, of course, as a tiny, I don't know, six-year-old, pronounced it as chaos and my brother has made fun of me ever since
1: (laughs) oh that's amazing
0: oh yeah and then of course sonic made the chow and i was like but they're of the children of chaos but they're that that validates my mispronunciation see my my first run-in with chaos was the chaos emeralds that that was that was it see sonic yep (laughs) um yeah so this game has had extremely positive reviews on steam Uh, In the last 30 days, it's a 90% with 727 reviews. Uh, Overall, it's 94% with 24,000 reviews. Metacritic has the Switch at an 84 uh, professionally and a 7.8 user, and PC at an 82 with a user of 8.1. So very consistent high, but not like perfect, but high scores. So, yeah, those are all the stats I had about the game. And then I can go in a little bit about its awards or the company that made it. any, any comments? that you want to add there? Yeah, I mean, I
1: guess I'm kind of, uh, I'm intrigued by the reception because I remember it being kind of quiet at launch. Like there wasn't. I don't personally. I don't remember there being a lot of buzz about it. It seemed to kind of happen over time, uh, and I'm curious if that reflects in the reviews or not, or if I'm just crazy
0: and not <laughs> listening to the right uh, sources of information. Yeah, I mean, not not only would I expect that from something that did early access, that it would improve, but this being such a small game, I don't exactly know how or when it blew up the way that it did, but it has sold—let's let's see here, make sure I'm, I say this right—it has pushed past one million copies sold on Steam. Oh, wow. And a lot of indie developers, from things that I've read, say that when they go to Switch, it's even more. Obviously, you can tell these guys prioritize Switch over other platforms like Xbox or PlayStation. Sure. So— it blew up. I don't know how exactly it went viral. It is extremely unique, as we'll talk about. But I, I guess I would expect it to start silent, and then as it gets better, at some point it went viral and got positive reviews. I, I guess that would make a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw... The the way that I saw it was through quite a few uh, YouTube channels. All of a sudden, people were like, oh, have you played this roguelike? Have you seen this? And then I started seeing all of these videos pop up. I'm like, oh, that seems really different and interesting right Um, but before that point it was just silent so yeah I'm I'm sure that probably is what ended up happening
0: yeah well and speaking of you know it going viral and getting praised so it was nominated for best independent game at the game awards and it got three nominations in the dice awards for best strategy simulation game of the year outstanding achievement in independent game and outstanding achievement in game design although I don't actually have a note of whether or not it won any of these it was nominated for all of them (laughs) Oh man. Well, I let's 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 pretend that they did. Let's say they did. Woohoo. <laughs> cool. So let's let's start getting into the review and I think the first section is basically empty. Did you have any preconceptions and or what surprised you if you did have them? So
1: I did a little bit just based on what little I saw from the YouTube, uh videos that I ended up watching back when it first was kind of getting strength and it just I expected the art to be more consistent, right? So, like, you've got the that high fidelity art in the cards and in some of the, like the the dialogue, right? But then in the actual loop portion of the game, it was a very different style, right? Uh, and I it's old that VGA I didn't expect graphics, it. yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Lots of black, which fits the motif perfect.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think so. Preconception or not, like that was not a problem when I started playing the game. It was just something that definitely stood out. I was like, "Oh, I didn't expect that."
0: Yeah, I I had zero preconceptions. So uh, I heard about this on I keep using the word "vidya game." That's because I listened to the "Vidya Game Apocalypse" podcast, and I heard them continuously, like on multiple episodes. of was going, "Yeah, I just played it more last night. I did another loop. Oh, it should be on our best games of the year." And so I was inter- instantly interested from their description because it had all sorts of elements that I I really liked. But one element that I didn't I didn't know whether or not I'd like, and we'll talk about that. So I had no preconceptions of any kind. I didn't look up. I basically didn't look up videos. I didn't look up art. I went into this blind. Oh, wow. Yeah. As far as what surprised you, though, I guess I can. This is not a bad segue from this section into talking about the good and the bad. Oh, dear listener, sorry. We're going to do our standard QQ review format. We're going to start with the preconceptions and what surprised us. We're going to get into the meat of it with the good and the bad. And then we're going to wrap up with the verdict and any predictions we have because this this is a young game. It might stay alive. So, okay, uh, the thing that surprised me, you said the graphics. Normally when you hear about retro graphics or pixel art, it's very much based off of the console era of the time. It's much more common to be, you know, uh, 8-bit or 16-bit. At most, I would go as far as like 32-bit, and I'm thinking about things like, shit, what's its name? <laughs> Roguelike only... plays the guy without right. the head. The, the guy, guy without the help. head. I will think of it later. I swear I didn't have COVID, but my memory is broken. Dead Cells!
1: It was Dead oh, Cells.
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you don't usually think of retro style graphics as DOS of VGA, this old stuff. So I was surprised to see it and clearly surprised at how well it worked. Like I said, I think the, the style and the use of everything being black fits this you're-in-the-void aesthetic beautifully.
1: Yeah, I... I... I'd agree, especially when you have the stark contrast with the color schemes of all of the, you know, the creatures and the tiles as you bring the world to life. Really, artistically plays into the narrative in such a subtle way that I don't think you actually consciously realize it until you've
0: played it a little bit and been like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah
0: that totally makes sense. Yeah, and there are those bright primary colors on the map, right? right? It's not like these. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about how this is old-school graphics. They are, like all retro games, breaking the rules. There's more tiles. There's more of a a broad color palette. But predominantly, those very bright colors, right? The enemies are bright yellow or bright white or bright green. Very single-color bright popping. What what character, did you customize your character's color? Because I did. Not going to lie, I had no idea you could even do that. (laughs) Yeah, go into the settings menu. There's a handful of settings. You can change the color of your hero. And you can also set it to always be highlighted. So I have a giant arrow, spinning arrow over his head at all times.
1: Yeah, I I did that. Pretty much as soon as I got into Act 2,
0: I was like, oh, God, I have to do this. (laughs) So, yeah, I made my character hot pink, but yours is, I guess, the default white. Yeah, yeah. I want to make a joke about it. I named him Pinky, but I I didn't do that. I didn't even think about it until right now. Bad jokes. (laughs) So now yeah, you got to um, go back in and fix it. <laughs> fix air quotes. So yeah, getting getting into the good. Love the graphic style. Thinks it work. I think it works so well. Which I sh- I should point out some games I just love gra- retro games I love graphically. Like we all love Shovel Knight because it looks like fucking old school Mario or old school um Mega Man. I adore Into the Breach because it looks like old school XCOM or SNES. It's amazing. Oh yeah. Into the actually, Breach was a Into yeah, the Breach was an amazing game. That was Another top tier,
1: uh, I would say, spin and innovative take on a genre.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I mean, I've been telling people, and people, like, roll their eyes when I say it, but I mean it with all sincerity. Into the Breach was my favorite game of the last decade. The 2010s, I'd tell you Into the Breach. I'm not saying it's the best game. We had Breath of the Wild. We had Oba Mm. (laughs) Put those two together. Um But my personal favorite, hands down, was was Into the Breach. I just absolutely, positively adored it, I completed it, I never do that for games. (laughs) Most of the time I don't even beat games. So, loved Into the Breach. But, uh, yeah, so I was just trying to say that, like, sometimes the art style works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. Slay the Spire is a game that I think is fucking awesome. I don't actually like its art style. This is great. Not only is it very DOS-like when you're on the map, but then even the combat sprites, which we'll talk about, are so simple. There's so few frames of animation. There's basically the idle frame. Like, this is, again, so classic 8-bit, like, Final Fantasy. There's the idle frame. There's the pre-attack frame. And then there's the attack frame. There's the hit frame. There's the die frame. Like, that's practically it in terms of sprites. So each yeah. each character has, like, five, which, again, is, is, is very much like the original Final Fantasy. Or I think it might have been four. Um, it did mean, it, it so well.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Especially, I personally feel like it aids the the kind of auto battler combat as well right because so much in an auto battler can get very confusing if it's Mm -hmm. moving fast because you don't know what's what's reacting to what you know how how are my choices affecting this you know automatic combat but when it's so crystal clear yeah clean uh with
0: what's happening it's just super simple and you understand it immediately for the most part, yes. In Spoiler for in the bad, I'm going to talk about some of the UX elements. Mm. But that's going to be really specific, and I don't blame the developer for what they did or why they did it. But when it comes to the core loop like you're talking about, especially in combat, it does read so clean. You can see when your character has a shield because it puts this gigantic color around him. You can see that the little health bar has a little time bar beneath it, and so you know what it's doing. Actually, one of my favorite little attention to detail things is I said that they have the attack sprite and the pre-attack sprite. Having that is so cool because the pre-attack sprite appears, I don't know if it's a percentage of the bar or a timer, if it's the last half second before it goes off, but it's so fucking cool when a character looks like an enemy, looks like they're about to attack, and then you kill them right before they do, and so it makes you feel like, I killed that motherfucker mid-punch. I blocked him. It feels so good. And it was literally just putting like a half second delay on a sprite yeah
1: no you're absolutely right like it that makes the player feel good about the situation again when they have very little control over the actual moment to moment and that i think is actually really important with the different elements of loop as
0: well right that we'll we'll dive into here in a second oh yeah totally so we're definitely going to get into there's there's primarily two game loops right the short term and the long term uh, game loop and i think they're awesome but we've been talking about how this is a bizarre and weird game and we haven't actually described it for dear listener so jared how would you describe this
1: <laughs> well so i would say that this is a game where there's two core loops pun absolutely intended <laughs> um and so you're you're I guess the, the loop where you play the most, right, where you spend most of your time, mm-hmm. is the actual uh, roguelike portion. So you have a procedurally generated-ish uh, path that you get. And it's a circle. It's a it's fucking a circle. circle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's some turns in it, OK? All right. It's a <laughs> circle-esque. Um, and you start out with a couple cards uh, that you have from your deck that you've built. And you have a limited number of cards that you can actually choose from to put in your deck. I think you start with a cap of twelve cards, and then that I think expands to fifteen. And sounds about right. E- each card that you play does a thing, right? It could create more monsters to show up on the loop path itself uh, at certain intervals of time. It might just give you passive bonuses. But the most interesting aspect that I've found is the discovery element which is when you place tiles in certain formations, either next to each other or around each other, that can cause different things to happen. right? So you can basically turn one tile into a super version of itself that causes different monsters to show up or different uh, effects to happen. And I think that's really where it shines. But that's basically the core element. You go around this loop, you fight the monsters, you kill them, you get loot whether that's resources or better gear, and you keep rinse-repeat until you've gone far enough or played enough tiles that the boss appears. Once yeah. you beat the boss, then you can end at any point and you go back into the other loop, which is more of like a base-building kind of mechanic.
0: So I, I want to talk a little more more of that core loop before we get to the, yeah. the larger loop. So that core loop is the short-term objectives. You're doing the roguelike part. And we need to emphasize, the loop starts completely empty. The only thing on the loop is the camp from which you came. That is it. It is one square tile of the whole loop. It's completely barren. And so, yes, as you fight enemies, and there's a day cycle. Time passes as you walk. So every day, things may spawn or change or whatever. So in the beginning, every empty tile just has like a 5% chance to slot, to spawn a slime. Yep. most bare-bones, basic, dragon quest. We spawn this, this bullshit enemy. All enemies drop... Uh, three things, effectively. They drop cards, which were defined by your deck, but you don't come in with a draw pile or a hand. You just define what is going to be available this run. So they drop cards, they drop gear, and I want to talk about gear and, like, the Diablo-style looter oh, yeah. loop there. Oh my... And then the third thing they drop is resources, which is the thing that's going to contribute to that larger uh, meta loop, which we'll get to in a moment. So as you get these cards, you need to place shit on the map. Now, that might... the first thing you think is probably that's unintuitive. Why would I want to make my game harder? Because every time you do a loop, every time you walk around the loop and you get back to your campfire, it counts as the next loop or the next, not day, but the next loop. And everything gets harder. Just base numbers get harder. So if you are not spawning things on the map, if you're not placing things, you're not going to get better loot and you're going to fall behind. You're going to become weaker because you're not scaling while the monsters are scaling. So you want to start putting down all sorts of crazy shit. Here's something that spawns spiders. Here's something that spawns vampires that get added to things. Here's something that spawns like, uh, increases chrono crystals, increase time around it, so you get more healing effects. There's also resources like mountains that add to your, it it makes no sense, but mountains add to your overall HP, and meadows heal you at the end of it, or start of every day, and forests give you attack speed. So you're just, you're putting shit on the map to buff yourself so that you will get stronger each loop. And if you die during the loop, you only take back 30%, I think, of your resources? Uh,
1: yeah, so if you die in the loop, you take back 30% of the resources you've gained. And then uh, at any point on the loop, when you're not in combat, although you can return while you're in combat, but that gives you 30%. When you're not in combat and you go back, you can take 60% of your loot. If you are on your camp, though, you can take back 100% of the loop. So you can yep. always say, mm, it, it's an interesting decision, right? Because you get to the camp and you're like, okay, do I feel confident that I can make another loop around?
0: It, it and... is so risk-reward. And that's what the podcasters I heard about this were talking about of, oh my God, tonight I'm just going to do one more loop. Oh, and I c- c- get more stuff, one more loop. And that's that's the risk-reward hook.
1: Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because like, I, I can absolutely point to specific examples where... I was I was crushing it right I was uh, doing the rogue and uh, by the way, there's a couple classes you can unlock but we can yep. talk about that in a little bit here
0: yeah by the way, the podcast is uh, we don't give a shit about spoilers so well we won't spoil the story I haven't even finished it yet um, yeah whether or not there's classes or different cards we're gonna talk about that shit.
1: Well yeah so uh, so yeah I was playing the rogue and it, it each class plays a little bit differently and you kind of have to strategize a little bit differently on how you stack your gear and the different types of cards you put out there and tiles that you use. But I had this one loop I probably had like half of the tiles fold with, with monsters, which is, you know, pretty standard. Mm -hmm. And I was crushing it. I felt so good and confident and pumped. I came back around and I think it tripped into like loop eight or nine. And by halfway through, I had like almost no health left. And I'm like, holy crap i like was completely overconfident and i got crushed right because my gear just wasn't set up properly to deal with now all of these creatures are so much more powerful i didn't scale properly and i think that is just fascinating to experience and try to figure out
0: yeah and this is where you really start having agency because not only are you defining the deck that you'll bring in which again doesn't have a conventional draw pile not only are you you pick your class to come in but then as the gear drops there's definitely different types of builds even amongst the three classes. So the rogue, am I gonna go for counter? Maybe with some healing? Am I gonna go pure evasion? Am I gonna go crit? You know, it's all the kind of the standard RPG stuff. Um, So you have to pick your build. And in in the example you just gave, there's this agency where you're like, okay, I have no health. Do I just start replacing my gear with healing gear just to see if I can limp over the finish line? And I don't know about you, I always play with oblivion cards in my deck. And oblivion oh, yeah. cards let you nuke a tile; it just goes back to normal. So it's like, okay, I have enough. I have like two oblivion cards. There's two camps of four. I could nuke them. And if I start healing, that I should be able to make it. Oh my god! And like, there becomes this this real again agency where like, okay, what am I gonna do here? So even though it's an auto battler, even though I may have already placed my my cards, like there becomes this can I make it out of here moment, and it feels so good when you do, and when you don't, it's still it's still kind of fun. It's like ah fuck. Yeah, no, I,
1: I completely agree. And I think uh, if you haven't tried it yet, Tom, absolutely recommend doing an attack speed build on the rogue. It is bonkers. Oh, Jesus. If you, have, have, did you unlock the river tile yet? No, I
0: fucking haven't.
1: Oh. Okay. Once you get the river tile, it so the way the river tile works, right? So there. Uh, actually another important thing to, to note about it, you know, we've got that path. Certain cards and tiles can only be placed next to, like adjacent to a path square and other tiles can never be placed adjacent to a path square. Yeah. So you kind of a lot of the things that you place outside of the path are very much things that give you passive bonuses. So those are like your your mountains, your rivers, your forests that give you attack speed and health boosts, right? And so with the river card, this is what I've been doing. I've tried a couple different things, which is so cool. Uh the river card when it's a adja- any tile that's adjacent to a river tile gets 2x its effect, period. So imagine that you have this winding river where you surround a forest or thicket that gives you times one or times two attack speed on three sides. And now you're just winding this across your entire board and you end up with absolute insane attack speed. Mm -hmm. There was one run I did with the rogue where I think I ended up attacking maybe three times a
0: second. It was crazy. Damn, dude. So uh, we should also be specific here um, there's a bunch of different types of interactions between cards and a lot of this is just figure it out it's not going to be documented for you there's a you unlock an encyclopedia in game so unlike Final Fantasy 13 which expects you to go read the story <laughs> you unlock of a, a, the library and then you get an encyclopedia so if you ever wondered what the fuck a thing was in the game or you didn't know where it came from you can go look it up but so for instance there's this one thing that's a lightning Tower, I forget what it's called. Storm, oh, yeah, uh, it's the Storm Temple. Storm Temple, thank you. And now it shoots out in the cardinal directions up, down, left, right. It shoots out uh, storms. So if you put them against tiles you're doing combat, every couple of seconds in combat, lightning will randomly strike an enemy on the field, which could be you. I shouldn't say enemy, anything on the field, which could be you or enemies. But it also has a side effect if there are any forests in its path, it turns them into burned forests. And it switches the bonus from attack speed to something else?
1: Uh, I believe it... Oh man, I want to say it either reduces enemy attack speed and then reduces your health. Uh, I don't know. There's a couple different passive cards. Oh, no, the, the sand dunes are the one that mess with health.
0: Yeah, and so there's there's all these different effects and different cards. And like Jared said, when you put certain in groups or certain a lot of certain numbers, once you have X number of sand, it does a thing. Once you have X number of... If you play the X number of villages, it'll spawn a goblin camp, like, there's all these kind of side effects of the cards, and some are interplays, where if you put a vampire mansion next to a town it becomes a zombie town so there's oh, all this yeah. interplay that's really fun and unique, and the order in which you draw your cards, like any good deck builder, is gonna change the strategy, change what you can or can't do um, and I would also go even so far as to say,
1: like, there are interactions when you take things away right? So if you've ever put a forest down next to, I think it's like a Hungry Grove or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Or no, a Blood Grove, sorry. Blood Grove. And if you uh, use an Oblivion card to get rid of the forest, it turns into a Hungry Grove, which will now start attacking you, but it does overall has a higher threshold for where it provides its effect. Yeah. And so there's, there's so much of the interaction of what's there and what's not there that to me, like one of the things I really look for in a game is a uh, surprise and delight, a sense of discovery, mm-hmm. right? I want to feel smart as a player. I want to feel like, oh, I've uncovered a thing that I never thought I could have, right? And I think that is one of the things that really pulled me into Loop Hero, especially that plus the progression, um, is that sense of discovery in every element of the game.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's very much emergent complexity, right? There's these fundamental yeah. set of... This finite number of skills or stats that are very straightforward and very basic. And then each card, again, more or less is very simple in its concept, modifies this thing or spawns this thing. But then the interplay between them, not just the special ones we talked about, but the interplay between all of them, again, creates this brilliant emergent complexity that makes you feel clever, it makes you feel smart, it makes you feel powerful, uh, and you can play things together. One of my favorite examples of that is there's one enemy that are these worms. And the worms have a chance when they get to, like... When they're when they're gonna die, they have a like fifty percent chance, I think, of just burrowing and escaping. So then they're you did all this fighting, you didn't get any loot, and you got to fight them again next time. Like, son of a bitch! But if you play that next to the blood grove you just referred to, the blood grove uh, kills anything that's below twenty percent health. And so you put a blood grove next to the worms, and it will instantly kill them, and they can never escape. Which is like, oh my god, I don't I think the ancient ruins is where the worms are. I yep. don't play an ancient ruins card unless it's adjacent to a blood grove.
1: Nice. No, actually, you know, I never thought about that interaction. See, that's pretty. That's pretty legit.
0: Yeah, emergent complexity. Yeah. So, actually,
1: my my favorite example of that. Uh, so, I've reached Act Four. Uh, so, at each act, is a different boss, and in each act, the enemies get overall stronger in two ways. One, they I think they have more attack and or more health, or just overall stats. Yeah, their sure. their base stats increase base stats, but they also get an, an extra ability that they can use during combat, right? And so, and each act, so it it has that. So that's just naturally harder. Uh, And then each act has a different boss, which again is usually a little
0: bit more complex and a little bit harder to fight. To to give one concrete example of an enemy with more abilities is the vampire. The vampire in act one is just a vampire. The vampire in act two, I think in act one, he has vampirism for himself. In act Mm -hmm. two, not only does it have vampirism for the whole team, he's healing other people. That's right, your vampire is a fucking healer. But on top of that, when he drops below 50% health or something, yep. he spawns a bunch of, like, a flock of bats. So, and then I don't know what he gets in Act 3. I, I haven't beaten Act 3 yet. So this is this one mob that is now getting more abilities as the game gets harder. So that's how it keeps you progressing. Yeah, no, I, so what what I ended up getting to
1: in Act 4, right, Act 4 is really is <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard, not gonna lie. Uh, but, it, but it's been fun to try and deal with. So, you can. There's a certain tile called a cemetery, and the cemetery spawns skeletons. Mm-hmm. The skeletons hit like a fucking truck. These they're things, slow as fuck. But yeah, they're they slow, hit but they hit hard, and they've got a lot of HP. So if you put that down in the early game, you might have a little bit of trouble. But they also give, usually, pretty good loot. So what I've started doing is I'll put a cemetery down, and I will put a spider cocoon next to it. Because what ends up happening is instead of getting to, especially towards the later end of the loop, where you could have four skeletons and they're just going to absolutely decimate you. Oh, shit. Now... Is what you're saying? Yeah. Now you put the spiders will spawn there, and so you get this mixture of units on one tile, so you're not overwhelmed by one specific unit, so the skeletons don't absolutely wreck you. And I never thought to really do that until I reached this difficulty point of, like, how do I deal with this? How do I get loot? That's good enough, but I don't lose.
0: Yeah. That's another great interplay, and actually, I never fucking thought of that. Um, So, dear listener, I think the default is when you're spawning enemies onto the map, or you're playing cards that will eventually spawn enemies on the map, each tile can only have four enemies. Now, that's actually not the maximum number, because if you put, for example, a vampire mansion, it will always add a vampire. There will then be five fucking enemies to fight. But on the map itself, there can only be four on the high level. So by putting the spiders next to the skeletons, you will never have four badass skeletons. You may have, for example, two skeletons and two spiders, and the spiders are clearly weaker. So, damn, that's a good tactic, and I never even fucking thought of it. Yeah, man. Uh, legit, it got it got me from
1: getting only to the first boss in Act 4 to uh, the third boss. So, it, it kind of, again, a spoiler alert, which is what uh, Act 4 is very interesting because you have to actually fight each of the bosses from the previous three acts in order, and then fight a final boss. So far, I have not gotten to the final boss yet.
0: Yeah. it's hard. So the, what triggers the bosses to spawn is a total number of cards played. So if you... Once you've played... I'm just going to make up the number. I don't know what it is. A hundred cards the boss will spawn. So on the completion of the loop, you'll have to fight a boss. In Act uh, 4, do they spawn linearly? Is it first the, the first boss is the Lich, and then the second yep. boss is what so? So you literally would still have to do like more loops to spawn the next boss?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So the number to get to a boss spawn in Act uh, 4 is I want at least half, if not even less, than yeah. it would be to be normal spawn it, right? Yeah, because you
0: can't fill up the board.
1: Right, exactly. Um, so it, it is fascinating, though, because each boss definitely has a different, I guess, strategy, right? That yeah. you would have to employ to beat each one. So you kind of have to pivot through each leg of that uh of that fight of that oh, act.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah cuz like no. you, you know, if you're going to fight the lich first, who his thing is basically that I'm going to hit you like a train, slow but slow but sure like skeletons. Um instead of having like in, in act 1, you may have one or two dozen loops to go through to get your gear, to get more powerful. But then in act 4, clearly you're going to have like five to get your ass ready for the lich. Now again, we we haven't talked about the second game loop, the the larger long-term goals, right. but that's fucking cool. And again, this yeah. is this to me is more, again, I keep saying emergent complexity. This is purely data-driven in the game. It's just, oh, when I'm in Act 4, turn this number down or turn this number up. I love that simplicity. It's not, I invented a new mechanic. No, 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 no. You know exactly how this fucking mechanic works. You've been playing the whole game where once I play X cards, the boss appears. The difference now is that it's lower number and it's going to happen four fucking times. That is so simple and data driven, and I and it's not a new one-off mechanic. I love that. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's it is an evolution of a concept of a design concept, right? Like that's that's one of the things that I personally look for as a developer is like creating a system, a, a series of systems, core loop, however you want to call it, that have natural progression to them, not just from a you know, uh, like a loot perspective, right? Of like, hey, I'm going to kill a thing, I'm going to get more loot, whatever. But in a progression of, there are more and interesting ways that you can interact with the system with just a few changes to that core data. And that is, I think, where yeah. true game design shines through brightly. That's
0: that, that simple but elegant, right? Yeah. And it's it's hard, again, well, I use hard as in I am not a game designer. Um, I think it's less common and I think it is more difficult to do that naturally in a lot of RPGs. Most RPGs keep introducing totally. mechanics in order to make it more complicated. Look, I love FF6, but every character has their own unique mechanic. Whereas uh, usually the go-to example for this is platformers. First Mario jumps. Then he has to learn the long jump. Then he has to learn that he can jump off of an enemy. Now you have to do a long jump off of an enemy. And then you learn that you can do a double jump. So you double jump onto the enemy and do a long jump. Like, it starts yeah. adding these. In an RPG that, that sometimes can be hard, this game does it Really fucking well. yeah, no I a hundred
1: percent agree, you know, our, and I think the interesting thing and the reason why I think that's the case is, you know, RPGs, you know role playing is a big part of that, right? So I think you really have to focus on what aspect of RPG are you really wanting to devote the time to, right? Like where are you putting that that mental energy of the player? And for me, in Loop Hero, the developers put that on the game, like the gameplay itself. Like the story is still there, right? And you experience the story, but you do so mostly through the gameplay, right? As opposed to endless cutscenes and dialogue and quest choices and things like that, which are also fun. Don't get me wrong, I still love those kind of games. I put 80 plus hours into Witcher 3, right? <laughs> but there's just something different about experiencing. The RPG rather than necessarily playing it, if that makes sense.
0: Um yeah, I mean at this point we're getting into just semantics, but I, I <laughs> definitely think I understand what you're saying, and I I couldn't agree more, and I just think this game does it well. And again, I think awesome games like Into the Breach and Slay the Spire, both of which are mentioned, also do that very, very well. Um they take a concept and they just add a thing to it or add another number to it, and it's like, ooh, ooh, you've you've seen this before, but now it's doing something different. Um yeah. it's just so now much fun. I, I do gotta throw out there one other thing that
1: really I absolutely love. So I am a a sucker for really good
0: soundtracks.
1: (laughs) And I got to admit, I love the soundtrack, especially the boss music for the Lich. Oh, So what happens is once you trigger, so when you're doing a loop, right? Once you put that final tile that would trigger the boss, the boss actually spawns back at your camp. So if you're in the middle of a loop, you still got to fight the rest of the loop before you get back to the boss right and so but the moment that the boss comes down the music changes right away Mm -hmm. so you could have this entire loop you have to go through and just listening to this epic music pushing you towards this confrontation that you're like oh crap all right i've got to get hyped for this can i even do this and i think that's just a brilliant like polished touch that had
0: a phenomenal side effect so um how many tracks are in total? Is it is there a different track and boss track for each for each um, not level? What's the word I'm looking for? Act. Act. Thank you. So I, I yes, I believe there
1: is. Uh, I know there is for each boss has a different one, and yeah. then in Act Four, I think each of the segments and each of the bosses in the segment have revised versions of their actual uh, music as well, which I think is fucking phenomenal. Um, and I believe the acts have different like ambient music. Although, I've really only been grinding Act 3 lately, so I'd have to go back and check.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't remember, I can't remember the different tracks, but yes, the Boss track is a banger. And so, regardless of how small the soundtrack might be, they are all really good songs. Um, they are fun to listen to, they don't distract in any way, shape, or form, they are not, we talked about all oh, this is like old-school DOS-inspired, this isn't even chip tunes. it's just simple soundtrack um it's fucking awesome
1: yeah highly recommend
0: so cool okay the last thing i want to talk about before we get into the finally the finally the larger loop is (laughs) i just really want to acknowledge the genres this is listed as are role-playing roguelike and deck building clearly there's deck building it's not the same as i think most common games for deck building because really you're putting like you're defining the the item drops but it is deck building um role-playing no shit Roguelike, I don't actually think is a particularly useful genre name. To me, that's like, it's a moving picture. It's like, well, yeah, but is it comedy yeah. or horror? Like, it's just not a I particularly mean, useful thing to me. I I would kind of disagree a little bit. I I think it's
1: useful because it implies to me that there are two sections, two key sections of the game, right? There's a a thing that you will constantly repeat that of basically will get reset to some degree and then you've got your meta loop, whatever that is. Right. And so it's useful to me as opposed to thinking of, hey, this is just an RPG. Oh, then I expect kind of a singular narrative and I'll just proceed through. I'm not going
0: to get reset anywhere. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, now, one of the things, though, I wanted to add is I think there's a fourth genre that really should be here. And that is what's funny is when I was looking this up, because I, I try to use the right words, even though I don't always get it right, um, looter shooter is a genre <laughs> but just looter itself isn't and I was like what, what the fuck now of course and I did find a post on reddit so you know it's true that <laughs> of course the looter shooter genre is primarily based on ARPG loot systems Diablo 2 is perhaps the gold standard for a good loot system that keeps players playing so I don't know okay. if looter is an official term but I'm going to use it here damn is the looter element of this great When you when you get loot dropped and every loop, the drop rates get progressively better. Not, not higher in terms of percentages, but uh, better rewards themselves. The, the gear keeps leveling up. Seriously, I can't think of another game that feels as good to get a new piece of loot other than Diablo. Because not only does the loot have a great progression of power and make you feel like a badass every time you get something new, but the stats are all very fundamental, very clear, and very fucking large and meaningful. You're not dealing with get a two like at the beginning of the game it's get a two percent attack rate, but then by the time or at the beginning of the loot game, but then by the time you're starting to get like level five weapons it's like twenty percent. By the time you're getting higher it's like thirty percent. So then you get like three pieces of gear that have for the the necromancer you know um, summon quality, and you're literally at a hundred percent summon quality. Like you will always summon a badass uh, skeleton. Like the the loot. Progression feels amazing, and the numbers mean something. It's not these tiny little things. Like, you feel great. You're like, oh my god, oh my god. I have a ring that has 20% evasion and 10% crit. But I could turn that in for 40%, you know, attack speed. Mm. Oh god, do I pivot my build? Is that just better in aggregate? Sometimes you get a ring that's level 2, but it has the best fucking stats or plus 1 max skeletons in the Necromancer. It, the loot which you don't even control, feels so fucking good. So if, if, dear listener, if this sounded boring to you, like you play cards and your guy walks in a circle and you don't even do anything, the agency, <laughs> aside from being in the pre-built deck and the placement, is the fucking loot and it feels mm. fucking
1: good. Yeah, it's... You notice... and, and the, the thing that I love is that you are immediately rewarded for making that decision, right? That feedback loop is... is instant right it's not yes. a oh i'm gonna play with this and i'll see how it does like the next fight after you change gear you notice the difference and isn't that... it the
0: same fight because you can put on gear in a fight oh you can
1: yeah yeah so that's that's actually something interesting right you can and i've i've actually done this with the rogue specifically where i know i'll keep like certain gear um like evasion gear or counter gear And I'll try to time it depending on, okay, if I've got a lot of skeletons coming up or I know a boss is coming up, but I need different gear to get through these couple enemies, I'll swap my gear out right before. Uh, But you're right, Tom. You can absolutely do that during combat, and it will immediately take effect.
0: Now, to clarify, though, there's two other things that need to be noted about the gear. One is when you change your equipment, whatever you had equipped is gone. So you can't just be swapping gear sets. You have to make choices. They're meaningful choices, and they stick with you. The other thing that's interesting is you keep getting gear. Maybe you don't want to equip it. Maybe it's not for your build. Maybe it's not as good. Uh, you only have a fine number of slots. I think it's... Is it a 4x4 four four grid? Uh, it... Yes. I think it's 16. Unless you, unless you place the um, the arsenal card. Oh, son of a bitch. Um, we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you have these... Uh, initially you have these 16 gear slots. And so it's, it's like a queue. When you push in, eventually they pop out the back. And then any gear that, that pops out of your inventory actually gets turned into a resource that you take back to your town. So when you're doing your, quote-unquote, grinding loops, which don't feel grindy, that's probably the best part of them. Yeah. It's automated. It feels great. Um, and sometimes you're just like, look, I'm done putting on gear because I really want the, I don't know if it's scrap metal or what the fuck it is, but you just want to let the gear fall out of your inventory so you can get that resource. So it's, it's cool. It's cool, you have to make meaningful choices. You can't just hold on to shit indefinitely. And you don't ever waste anything. It's a waste not situation. It gets turned into a resource. Yeah, and did you did you uh, ever figure out that that happens with your cards too? Uh, yes, yes, I'd forgotten about that. That they get, you can hold a fine number of cards. I don't remember what it is, 20, I'm just gonna say, I don't know. Yeah. It's and same bad. thing, when they start burning, they turn into a resource. So sometimes yeah. you don't want to, like you're, you're holding on to cards, like Oblivion cards for me, and like all of a sudden, you go into a fight with five enemies. They all drop a card, and you accidentally end up burning the first cards that you had in your hand. You're like, "Son of a bitch!" Yeah, but it it uh, actually, when
1: I was first, I thought so. It you know, different resources have different uses in that other core meta loop, if you will. And I didn't know what the card burn resource was meant for at the beginning. And so I spent a bunch of loops just grinding those of like, hey, I'm invincible. I'm just going to keep going around. And uh, then I realized that they were kind of there. You can use the card burn for uh, unlocking entries in your encyclopedia for more information. Oh, is that all? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) But oh, and actually something interesting too, and I think, again, this really ties back to that, in my mind, brilliant sense of progression. Each act has a cap on how many resources oh, you can yeah. take away. Yeah. So there's there's an enforcement of how much you can actually grind in a given loop. And it gets that cap gets higher and eventually it gets completely unlocked in act 4, but each act, you know, raises that grind uh, cap. And so, it's yeah, so I, I can't good. just
0: infinitely go through act 1 with my badass character and get yeah. all the wood. It's like you can only take 10 back. That's all you get. Uh,
1: I I love it because, you know, what so, I, you know this, Tom, but for, for all listeners, it's really, I love progression games. Yes. That, that focus intently on it. That's one of the reasons I still love Stardew Valley to this day and I play it nonstop. I'm literally playing it. Uh, I was playing it earlier today. And Loop Hero does that progression arguably even better than Stardew because Ooh. that, that short term progression within the loop is phenomenal. But that force, that resource cap, pushes you of like, that's kind of that midterm of like, all right, I got to go, I got to start doing the other stuff, right? And then the long term is the meta loop, which we should probably talk about
0: at some point. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll we'll finally get there. I did you just maybe want to point out one more thing um, with the resource cap that again, like you're saying, the the progression is so natural. I keep using all these words um, like emergent, organic, data driven. I just love that. It's just a number and it goes up and it is a meaningful difference. And you can immediately intuit what that means. You know you've already had a resource cap. <gasps> but it went up. It's a number. But it <laughs> means something. And so we don't have to introduce, well, now you can hold on to five wood. But then that wood turns into super wood. But super, it's like, no, it's just fucking wood. But the number what? went up. Um, it's It's just great. Yeah, no, I, again,
1: it's it's that simplicity and evolution of a concept, right?
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into the larger loop, which is going to be perfect to segue into the bad. Because as much as I, <laughs> I love it, that's where I start having my issues. And they're not even issues. But we'll get there. Okay, so please, Jared, explain to dear listener what the... We've talked about the loop itself. So you, you're at your camp... You, sorry, you're at your campfire. You go back to camp. What what happens there? Yeah, so it... it- in the beginning, it kind of gives
1: you the first time you go to the camp, gives you a little bit of exposition about what's actually happening, right, with the story. Um, but effectively, it again is kind of this this tile based system where you can select those, you can select different buildings to choose to build, right? So, and they all have different effects. So you could say, hey, I'm going to build, uh, or I'm going to upgrade my campfire, right? So now my campfire. So in sorry, in the core loop uh when you hit your campfire you heal a certain amount but in the meta loop if you upgrade your campfire with the resources that you've gained now you heal more right and uh, each upgrade level for these different buildings do different things and it's kind of like a tech tree almost if you look at it right so you can unlock there's certain prerequisite buildings that you have to do before you get to the other ones and for the most part this is actually how you unlock uh you unlock the different characters this way the different classes you unlock cards this way you can also unlock cards through upgrading buildings as well and they give you also just general bonuses right i think there's one that's the the lumberjack that if for each forest tile you put in the in the meta loop right at your camp every time you come back you'll get one wood right and so again it's this kind of there is a little bit of choice right there's a little bit of agency with well, how many you know, how many forest do I wanna put? How many forest tiles do I want to put in my campground? Because maybe I really want to grind to get some more wood. It's because I need that to build this other building that I want to build. Um, and it it's interesting. Like, I get it. They needed something there to give you that overall progression and make you get stronger. It's a bit clunky.
0: Yes. So yeah, to to try to describe this even a little more, so you have what is literally a tech tree. Uh, to unlock the buildings themselves and then you place these buildings as always like a little rts type thing you place them on your little grid and Then while they're on the grid you can even then upgrade them from there not in the tech tree But once they're on the ground and at any time you could nuke the the building or remove it oh, from yeah. your campfire So that you could switch out like you're saying I now need less lumber and I want more food or something else so um, fundamentally it makes sense. And as you put things down, this is these are how you unlock the new classes. It's not through the campaign you unlock the classes that way. You unlock upgrades to base stats, upgrades to like oh you start a loop with a set of gear, upgrades to uh, again percent changes on on certain types of cards, and you also unlock the golden card or you unlock chum cards, but then you also unlock the golden cards which oh, yeah. are there's like only like 5 I think. Uh yes. Yeah, there's only 5. Yeah. But they are fundamentally game-changing cards so um before we get into the golden cards the yeah the the outer loop mechanically all makes sense and makes meaningful smaller but meaningful contributions and so it it all works it is all arguably necessary it does feel like they mishmashed a bunch of shit together that they just didn't need to like the the tree then the grid then you upgrade the building on the map and you have to find out where that is like you figure it out and then there's some other things that I don't even fucking understand Maybe you can explain to me the tools and other stuff like oh, yeah. this is this is the part of the game where I'm like okay I understand mechanically you wanted all this but I question the execution I, I don't claim to know what the right answer was but I question the execution of it for the camp for the base so it's not bad it's not bad. It's just not great.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It's not great. I think the reason I think there's two core reasons that they execute in the way they did. And this is of course me reading between the lines and all that fun stuff, but it on on for one of those, it provided an avenue for storytelling, right? Because when you put down each the first time you put down a new building, a new type of building, right? You get a interaction, a little snippet with a different character in the game right and for the most part it's not super important right but it does give you a little bit of backstory into this void world that you're experiencing and what your purpose is in it fundamentally i think they could have still accomplished that with a different execution model Mm -hmm. but i think that was a key reason why they did that and then secondly i think they just leaned into kind of what we were talking about before in the other loop that evolution of a concept, right? Yeah. You've already been taught how to place tiles down. This is an evolution of that concept. It's just tiles that always exist.
0: Yeah. Right. Which is why I say it works. It yeah. does work, but eh. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. I, it's not bad. I want to be very clear. It's not bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, like, uh, compare it to other games, right? So for, uh, I would look at Rogue Legacy, right? So that meta portion of Rogue Legacy is, you run by all of these vendors effectively. Right, And you can choose to say, hey, I'm going to pay you money to upgrade or unlock these different characters and classes and blah, 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 right? And um, uh, effectively, all roguelikes have a glorified menu right, to do their tech tree, to do their upgrades. So I, I, I feel like most roguelikes don't quite execute well on that aspect, and maybe I just need to play more. And so that's why I kind of like, yeah, this wasn't the best part of the game, but I also understand it, and it works.
0: So understand it is what I want to key off of and, and sure. segue into the bad. Is there anything good you want to say? Because there's a lot of good here, and I, my bad is going to be pretty mediocre, minimal at best. Nah, let's jump, let's jump in the bad. So, yeah, this is where um, we talked about in the main loop, the core principles are so easily intuitive. They're so simple. The numbers are very legible. The stats and their meanings are easy to intuit. Like you figure it out on your own, real, all the basics real quick. The advanced mechanics of the game are far more obtuse <laughs> learning. Like when you get the first loop, you're like, what are these? I don't, I don't know what the icon is. So what the fuck is the day meter versus the boss meter versus my health bar has this little thing above it that moves up. Like there's a, a there's a bunch of stuff. Like, again, I'm like, what the fuck are the tools? I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> the advanced mechanics and UX are pretty bad to non-existent. Now, this is this is a game. I looked up the studio. Uh, it's it's only four dudes. It's four guys making this. Sorry, when I say dudes or guys, I mean that's gender neutral. Now gender neutral. Four people, four individuals making this game. So I don't begrudge them, and I prefer not having advanced tutorial systems, of which there's basically mm. none. That little bit of dialogue you just said is practically the tutorial system. Usually, it's more story flavor oriented, but sometimes they do kind of explain mechanically what it's going right. to do for you in in, in character. Um, but yeah, the UX is the definition of hit or miss. <laughs> um, and I think you see that a lot in in the town and the more advanced stuff. But again, they give you the encyclopedia. It's the age of the internet. Just go watch videos or look it up. So it's it's in the bad, but it's only the advanced stuff. And again, I don't even begrudge them because it's for people. And like, are you going to make your game awesome? Or are you going to work on your fucking tutorial system? Got it. Make the game awesome. But it's a complaint.
1: Yeah. No, I... I... I get you, you know, it. I, I do also appreciate the fact that they don't handhold you too much and just let you kind of figure it out because, oh, totally. again, they, they lead you into the discovery part in the core loop, so why wouldn't they do the kind of same thing in the meta? But I think because the core loop is so strong, it makes it so that the meta portion of it is just kind of like, eh, like, I don't really want to spend my time discovering here because I want to go back to the other thing, right?
0: Oh, yeah, Totally. That's why this is like a minor gripe. It's not really yeah. a big deal.
1: I think my only other gripe that I would throw out there is uh, part of the story, I would say. like I love the the setup, right I love the the initial concept, this this notion of memory and and the world ending and trying to recreate it at the same time. Yeah, but I guess we did we didn't
0: really explain that. The hero no, is just didn't. unique in that he remembers the world that is gone. And so that's where it ties so well into the mechanics of when you're placing cards, it's because you're remembering the world and you're effectively recreating it. Yeah. That's and what makes you the hero.
1: It it's it works so well with the gameplay. And then again, what we were talking about at the beginning, the art style really lending itself to that concept. It's just that it starts to get, I don't know if this is too spoilery, but it starts to get a little religious-y, which I always kind of am, right? Like, I feel like religion is such a easy concept to throw into a game to put a lot of different uh, a lot of different storytelling into it but it all kind of gets a little samey with other things that I've seen. Now, I will say I think the execution is phenomenal. I just feel like it was kind of like a meh. I didn't really need that part of it.
0: Um so yeah, I'm only on act 3, but obviously, again, slight spoiler. This is not much of a spoiler. I guess technically it is, but um it, it's definitely going in the Final Fantasy. Oh, your objective is to kill God. <laughs> <laughs> like every Final Fantasy game since, you know, two. Um, yeah, whatever. It's, it's basic. It's yeah. fine. I That is something where they could do. Th- I wouldn't put it in the bad category because that's just very meh, middle of the road, don't care. Right. Um. You're right. The, the flavor is there. And I think that, you know, again, this is for people. I don't begrudge them. I think yeah. they're is was maybe in part two maybe in dlc maybe something else there's so much potential to tell an interesting narrative uh there there really is but they're they're not doing that here um hell half the little dialogue things are almost like jokes like (laughs) puns or something which again i this is not in the bad for me um it i wouldn't i'm not gonna sit here and praise it but it's not in the bad for me um and i hope maybe at some point they can again do more or do better in the future because i think it's so much potential yeah, I I hope so too.
1: Uh, I, again, like that's, I I wouldn't. I'm only calling it out here because like there's so much that's great about the game, so that the mediocre stuff kind of stands out a little bit. Uh, or to call it out. But yeah, it, it's just kind of samey, right? Except again, the the package that it's wrapped up in, the the yep. execution of it is really good.
0: Yep. Okay. So I really only have like one and a half more things to put in the bad. Um. Yeah. And again, this is mediocre bad here. So it definitely, as you've learned more than me, as it gets further, you're gonna have to start doing, air quotes, grinding. And I generally speaking fucking hate grinding. The game does make it work really well because it's a loop, it's an auto battler, you're getting more powerful so you can kind of pay less attention and you can literally make change your settings so that like for me, I just make my hero do a loop and when he gets back to the start, then I equip his gear or change whatever and I let him do a loop and I just let it go. So by definition, it gets grindy and the resources in the later parts of the game get like obscenely high it's like an exponential growth rate on resource consumption so i want to be fair and usually i would put that in the bad i think that's around the core design of the game i think again you have a limited team you're doing wonderful stuff but i i feel like to be fair i need to point out it is technically a grindy game it's not necessarily bad the way that i like bravely default and you change this is my personal opinion you change the settings to literally up the encounter rate so that i can just grind by walking on tiles i'm like guys that's not fun i don't know why why with the like playing the game is supposed to be fun not changing the game mode to break it to be what the fuck i I don't care for that at all some people love it i don't care for it um no i i completely agree uh,
1: i i look to things like octopath traveler of like man ah, uh, I don't want to grind in that. Like, it doesn't feel good, right? In this, I think, to me, the, the way that I looked at the grind is it's the perfect place to test stuff, mm-hmm. right? Try out tile interactions. Try out different decks, right? Like, originally, I was doing full 15 cards, and then I'm like, wait a second. What if I only take nine cards and get very specific structures? And I immediately saw an improvement in my in my experience, right? So that's how I looked at the grind, which is why I'm with you. Normally, I hate grind, but this made me feel smart, and I was getting resources at the same time.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, anything else for you on the bad before I get to my my final nitpick at best? Nah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what this final one is. You can't possibly have no other... There's nothing else in the bad? I mean, it's not a I perfect mean, game. It's a great game. It's not perfect. Like... I feel I wish
1: like again, you kinda called it out with some of the UX, the the Switch version, it's definitely a PC port. Oh, we didn't right? really
0: talk about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and like so that the controls are not great, but you get used to it, you know. Especially when you're not spending that much time messing around with the controls, right? Um I don't know, man. I'm I'm honestly surprised by how little I have to complain about it. I mean, you know me.
0: I'll so, complain. That's a perfect segue actually into Again, this is a complaint, but not really... Like, none of my complaints are really complaints. Um, It's not... We talked about how wonderful the mechanics are and how much they increase and how simple they are. In truth, this is not a content-rich game, Mm. which makes it so ripe for expansions or DLC, or I would so pay. I would so pay. Four guys, I will give them my money, release another class, release another act make a new mm-hmm. DLC that has some more buildings, some more cards. I am not going to tell you this is a particularly content rich game. It's got great stuff, the fundamentals are there, it's awesome, you're not going to get bored for for hours on end. I can't wait for it to get more content because I will say it needs is the wrong word. I don't want to say it needs it. Could really use will be so much better with uh more content.
1: Yeah. I see for me I I completely agree. Like I would 100%. The moment they announce any kind of DLC, yes, I'm in, give it to me, I will pay money. But I went, when I really started thinking about, especially treating my grinds, Thank you, Timmy. like <laughs> like um, places for me, sandboxes to play in for these different combinations, I felt like I was playing with the content. So I was expanding, extending the lifetime that I was going to have with this game. So yes, I agree, there is a limited scope of content, but I feel like it's... it. I mean, how many hours have you put into it now?
0: Oh, yeah, no. That's why I said this isn't really a complaint. Yeah. They they do so much with what they have, and again, so many of the pros and the goods we were talking about was how it, it is again, like, organic, and it is using all of its, its interplay so beautifully, and like if there was too much distracting weird content, it would actually take away from those pros, which is why I say it's not really a negative or yeah. a bad but trying to be fair and say that I would love more and I usually say that as a compliment when you leave me wanting more you done good yeah 100% alright yeah Well, I guess we you kind of reminded me we didn't get into the golden cards just suffice to say they're they're unique you can only play one of them then it fundamentally changes the gameplay my favorite one is the, um, the arsenal which basically unlocks an extra gear slot or a different gear slot for each character so like the rogue can now equip um, amulets, which you already know what they are. Amulets are what the Necromancer has, and it gives them a shield at each fight. Now the rogue can use the amulet. Again, talk about using the same mechanics, unlocking it organically. It's awesome. The other gold cards I actually really haven't played with yet, but they're all like these fundamental have a pro and have a con fundamental mechanic changers.
1: If If you're ever doing a boss run, Tom, I highly recommend using the
0: maze. It's very interesting. The maze? Yeah, the maze. It's funny. It's spelled exactly like the word maze. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dear listener. Uh, that brings us to the verdict. Okay. Normally, we have a QQ scale of one through three. I want to change that. Going forward, we're going to change that in QQcast QQ cast. So, Jared, you're going to be the first person with me to use the new QQ scale, oh, which we're very fucking familiar with. <laughs> so, we're not going to do fist of five. We're not going to do three. We're going to do an even number. We're going to do fist of four so there's one through four and the reason for that is you can't be down the middle you got to pick a side so one is i do not like this game i do not recommend it i want to qq about it two is look i don't like this game maybe you will maybe you could show me something i missed but i don't care for it three is i like this game you might not it's a little maybe weird or esoteric or there's an element i don't care for but i like it i think you would and number four is, look, I love this game. Nothing's perfect, but I think you'll really enjoy it too. So that's Fist of Four, the Q, the new QQ scale. Uh, Jared, take us out. All right. Well, for me, I maybe it was
1: clear, maybe it wasn't. I'm absolutely a four. And I'm a four because I think this game is such a perfect example of simplicity and elegance in as many aspects as possible to provide a entertaining experience that you get sucked into. And whether or not you're a fan of roguelikes, or whether you're or not you're a fan of heavy progression games, I think it is so interesting to experience as a gamer and as a developer. So I fundamentally think this is a great game to experience, even if just for a little bit. And with the price point that it has, like you're going to get your money's worth pretty quick, even if you just play it for a few hours. like. I feel like it's 100% worth it for most people.
0: Uh-huh. So that's... I, I'm right there with you. Okay. I think there is an argument, because this is a very unique game with mm. using some very unique genres. I think there's an argument to be made that it's it should be a three. Because even though you really enjoy it, it's definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But I kind of don't give a shit. Like... In uh, One of the things I always say as a criteria is if you set out to be what you're trying to be, I call that a success, right? Like, you know what you want to be and you do it. And I think that within this game's genres, it is so fucking unique, and it succeeds so uniquely and so completely in what it has set out to do that even if you ultimately might not care for it, I still tell, I've been telling my friends, not that they've been playing it, Zach and <laughs> Rubble, Um, I've been telling my friends, you gotta fucking try it, cause it's so unique. You gotta give it a shot. So I, I say four. I say four, cause again, Hell I yeah. think it, it is what it wants to be. It succeeds tremendously at that, and that everyone could at least enjoy the uniqueness or the novelty, even if you check out. So fucking four, awesome. Hell yeah, high five. Woot! Air, air, high remote, high five, five. five. Damn you, pandemic! Just punch your
1: screen. Punch your screen. Oh,
0: fine. is that? oh god why <laughs> um so yeah that brings us to um predictions uh, again kind of already hinted this the the team of four people has said they intend to keep creating more content these guys by the way i didn't mention it uh it started as two and then eventually moved to four and they like met and started doing this concept at a game jam and uh they all work remote they all live in russia but they all work remote and so they don't have like an or anything. they don't even have an they have an official website for the game obviously. But they don't even have a website for themselves. The only official thing about their company is a Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Twitter account. Um, So I believe that they, I I looked up their patch history, and they dropped in June and July, so like right after the game's launch, they dropped some, you know, bug fixes. Not even content packs, just bug fixes. And then their last, like, bug fix patch was actually October, so clearly they were focused on nothing but getting the game out the door for Switch. Which, business, probably the absolute right thing to do. So, all that said, I I have no reason to think they won't keep adding content to this game. Whether that means another act, whether that means a new class, whether that means new cards, hopefully all the new buildings for your uh, your camp, hopefully all the above. Um so I don't I don't know what in terms of content to expect other than those very broad categories, but oh my god, if they I don't care what they do, season pass, DLC, free picture, I don't care, I'm oh in. Like these guys have earned I again, I love small studios. I love it being for people like they have earned my money. I will give them at least as much as people pay Starbucks for a cup of coffee. No, I, I completely agree. I think
1: DLC is a very easy path forward that you could see. Like the like we're talking about this whole time, this evolution of of the core systems that they have, they can keep pushing that. Even if they didn't, they can just keep adding content and it would still be amazing. It would still be great consumption. But I I personally think What would be more interesting is if, and I I don't know if they're going to do this, but it would be more interesting to me if they actually do a different game and take all the learnings that they've done with Loop Hero and see if they can take it to that next level, right? Because they've got that that core loop so tight. But like we talked about, you know, like the meta part's kind of like, eh. Now imagine that they just double down and they, they make a new game that has that part of it just as solid.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I, I want to be clear. I don't think the meta is just meh. Just kind of the mm. interface way. Like the meta is strong for progression, but the way you do it is just meh.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they it 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 tapers off pretty fast in the meta uh, portion of the game. Fair enough. So that's why I would. I think I don't know if they could address that in DLC. Maybe they could, and I would be absolutely <laughs> stoked for that. Um so I think, I think there will absolutely be D- DLC, but what I want to see is them taking it to new places, which I
0: feel like would require a new game. Maybe so. And so um, you and I don't think we've ever had this conversation, but I've, I've talked to other my friends about how hmm. back in the, uh, the late aughts, there was, and Valve did this a ton, there was this, hey, we're going to release an initial game, and then like a year later, we're going to release part two. And in this day and age, uh, we would consider that, well, why wasn't that DLC? But back then, Left 4 Dead 2, Portal 2, these are great examples of we made the fundamental game, and then we this was so great. We had so much fun with it. We had so many more ideas. We had so much more stuff. Let's then make like the content-rich, evolved version. Yeah. I would have no problem with that. Make Loop Hero 2. Because it, admittedly, if you make an expansion or do something else, you might be constrained by some of the design choices that already exist, and maybe the best thing to do is to change fundamentally how that camp works, which you don't want to just throw out for a patch in loop Hero right. One. Maybe you want to make fundamental changes to that. Maybe you want to have a whole new set of of story and campaigns, which you could do. You could just have a set of acts. You could have different a different volume or a different book. Yeah. Pick your word. But I would have no problem with them saying, "Okay, guys, we're going to give you a little content here, a couple of cards or something," but really. We feel the best thing here is for us to make not a new game from the ground up, but in order to add the most meaningful new content, the most balanced new content, we feel the need to actually call the Superior Two and start from the beginning and rejigger some bigger parts. I would be completely fine with that. Some people get pissed, like, "Why well, I already paid you?" In Loupierre's case, it's fifteen dollars. That's two Starbucks <laughs> talls. Like, I'm totally cool with it, guys. Make make part two, put it out in a year or two at most. I'll give you twenty more bucks. I had a great time. Yeah, hundred percent
1: agree. And I think that that's actually a great point—the balance part. Uh, I think it could make it so the grind in the early game is completely different, so your progression could change either speed up or slow down. Right? Yeah. If they put it as DLC, so that's a great call out. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, Anything else to add? No, I mean, I just think this was a. This is a fun game. I'm really excited that we got to talk about it. I'm, Thank you for having me on your podcast. This has thank, been a fun time.
0: Thank you for for being a guest. All right, oh, uh, yeah. dear listener, thank you so very much for joining us. Um, I think Zach Raul and I will be back for our, our regularly scheduled programming uh, this coming week, but we'll see. Schedules in life are always a thing. Jared, thank you so much for joining. Um, hopefully, I'll have you back, I don't know, some other time. you think of a topic, come on down. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to be here. Alright man. Uh, and dear listener, until next time. QQ QQ Hero. I don't know. I I, I try to do something clever with the QQs in the way out and I always fail miserably.
1: <laughs> so you're going to actually have to include that as part of the podcast. Right? Oh yeah,
0: that's the, it. Ends on me saying how dumb I am. What what if I just oh, cool. looped QQ? Q, Q, And then
1: just you're the hero of the uh, because it ended it. Q-Q the hero quest. is
0: Dear God shut this
1: man up. <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. It's so meta.
0: Hey, dear listener, thank you so very much for joining us. Please always remember that all views and opinions expressed on the podcast are representative solely of the person expressing them. Not of their friends and family, not of their co-hosts or co-workers, and certainly not of their employers, past, present, or future. Again, thank you for joining us, and thank you for respecting our individuality. You played two hours to die like this?